Turn in your Bible to Ephesians 4, please. The fourth chapter of Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And again tonight, if we don't do anything else but read the Word of God, I think it's wise. Would you stand as we read the Bible? Chapter 4 of Ephesians. The Word itself says far more than anything I could say. I just want to point out four points that are in this chapter. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and notice that he was a Roman prisoner, chained to a Roman soldier, but he never calls himself a prisoner of the government, never talks about how evil the government has treated him or anything. He says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effective, effective working in the measure of, the, of, the, of uh, every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over into lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former manner of life the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. 
Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for that wonderful Word of God. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would apply those areas that we need in our own hearts tonight. Touch those who are without Christ, who are not sure if they died tonight, they'd go to heaven. Lord, it would be an awful thing, an awesome thing, to go from a service like this, with all this heavenly music, and the Word of God, and the fellowship of God's people, into the awful abyss of hell, forever separated from God. Don't let that happen. Touch hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated, please. Keep in mind that the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, expecting any moment that they would come and carry him away for the death, the execution of death. He was under the death sentence. But he doesn't mention a word of it in Ephesians. He's writing this letter to all the Christians. In all probability, Ephesians is the most general of the letters that Paul wrote. He wrote a specific letter to the Colossian Christians, another one to the Philippian Christians, which was his perhaps favorite church. Wonderful, wonderful book of Ephesians, but when he, of, of Philippians. But when he comes to, to this book, he's writing a general letter to the body of Christ. And it could well be that he would say to the church at Bowling Green, to the church at Glendale, and this is very personal to each of us as part of the body of Christ. And in this chapter, he suggests how we're to live. Francis Schaeffer, many years ago, a great theologian, great preacher of the Word of God, observed the kind of world we lived in. World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and all the confusion and the lowering of moral standards. And based on the scripture, he wrote a book which he entitled, How Then Should We Live? In light of all this. And his thesis was, believers will live differently from the way the world lives. They'll just do it automatically because the Holy Spirit abides in their heart. But there's a terrible responsibility for the man of God, those who have been charged with preaching the word, to declare that part of the counsel of God that would enable God's people to live the way God wants them to live. And so in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, I want to select four areas in this wonderful 32 verses and lay them on your heart tonight very briefly. 
1. According to chapter 4, verse 1 and 1 to 6, we're to walk worthy of the vocation to which we're called. Number two, in verses 7 to 16, we're to walk according to the measure of the gift of Christ to our lives. Number three, verses 17 to 29, we're to walk not as the Gentiles or the unbelievers. Number four, in verses 30 to 32, we're to walk in the Spirit. Now let's look at this a few moments. First of all, we're to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called. Not everyone in this room tonight is sure you're going to heaven. I would say many of you are, perhaps almost everyone here, but there may be some, one, two, three, or four, who, if you really were honest with your own heart, you would have to say, I'm not really sure whether I'm going to heaven. Well, God loves you, and he wants to save you. He wants to come into your heart. You cannot walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called until you accept that calling. God is calling every one of us. The scripture says in Romans, the eighth chapter, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called, them he justified. And whom he justified, them he glorified. All of that in the past tense, reminding us that God has already begun that good work in us. He has already begun to knock on our heart's door. And those without Christ need to just throw open the door and say, come in, Lord Jesus. The quartet sings a song sometimes, who at my door is knocking? Why, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Just the other day, I got hold of the bulletin that was uh, published at my home church, Walnut Street Baptist Church, the Sunday after I made a profession of faith. That bulletin was published on August the 13th, 1939. It reflected what had happened on August the 6th, 1939, and I saw my name there, that I'd come for a profession of faith and baptism. And it filled my heart with, with wonder and my eyes with tears as I remembered back when I was a young boy, hearing the call of God in my heart and resisting that call for a while. I began to hear it at my grandmother's funeral in January of that year. And I heard it on a train going to Florida and I heard it as a pastor faithfully showed me how from the Bible to be saved, but I rejected it. I began to go to church and listen to God's word. And then one night, I heard it again. And I said, Lord, I want to be saved, but I'm sort of afraid of all the people. And it seemed like Jesus said, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you the rest of the way. And he's done that very thing. I came to Christ that night, and he began to go with me. Now, if you're without Christ tonight, don't go on without him. Open your heart, throw your heart's door wide open, and then let these truths radiate in your life. And every believer here tonight, let's begin to practice what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Number one, walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called. Now he tells us how to do that. What is the vocation? The Christian walk. The Christian walk, that's really what he's talking about. The vocation of a believer is the Christian walk. 
Sometimes we call the vocation, well, I'm, I'm a, a trainman, or I'm a telephone operator, or I work with store communications, or I work in a bank, or I do this or that or the other. Well, that's just the thing you do to pay expenses. What you really do is to live for Christ. Your vocation in the Christian walk is to serve the Lord Christ. That's our vocation. And so he says, walk worthy of that. And here's how we're to do it. In lowliness of mind. With long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, these are spiritual characteristics of the believer who walks worthy of the vocation that Christ has called us to. A spirit of humility, a spirit of, rec of conciliation between one another. Not somebody that demands to have his own right on everything, but someone that says, well, the other person that may not agree with me, maybe he's sincere, maybe sincerely wrong, but maybe he's sincere, and I need to find out something about that and try my best to be reconciled with him and walk in lowliness of mind, in long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God doesn't put any, any preeminence or any special compliment on people who win an argument. You can win an argument and lose a friend. You can win an argument and you may be right about it and alienate people. Or you can reach out and include them and say, well, I understand what you're thinking is, I don't see it like that, but I understand what you're saying. Let's seek the will of God about the matter if we disagree and then walk together in truth. Walk worthy of the vocation to which you're called. Secondly, in verses 7 to 16, walk according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now look at those verses a moment. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That is every one of us, that is all believers. Every saved person is given a measure of faith You've give, you're given grace, a measure of grace, according to the measure that God has given in his call to you. Now, we all walk in life. Some of us do different things. We have different focuses. We have different emphases. But the one thing we're to do is to walk according to the measure of the gift that Christ has given to us. And he enumerates that in a moment. That's the reason he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but he that descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens and that he might fill all things. He's talking about Jesus. He says, this is what Jesus did. God called Jesus, the Son of God, to come and in lowliness of mind to give his life on a cross for the sins of the world, to take a stand against sin. Nobody ever took a stronger stand against sin than the, the, the Lord Jesus. He went into the money changers in the temple and got whips and drove them out. That's the meek and lowly Jesus, yes. There are times when God's people have to take stands against sin. 
I don't want our church or any believer to ever be soft on liquor. It's a terrible blight, a terrible curse. If you don't believe it, ask those who have had loved ones die in an awful wreck because of liquor. Liquor is the enemy of the Christian life. It's the enemy of faith and faithfulness. But not only that, all of those things related to it, drugs and all the alcoholic beverages that are served and wine. And I would go a step further. Some of you do not see it like I do. But I think a believer has no business going into a restaurant that sells liquor to get some, some beef, roast beef or mashed potatoes. There are plenty of restaurants that don't sell it. And I think you cooperate with those who do sell it and you help pad their pockets when you go into some place that sells that stuff. For years, we had some, rest, some, some groceries in Bowling Green that didn't sell it. Very, very few, rest, very, very few um, groceries that don't sell it anymore. But you see, we need to walk in that gift of grace that God has given us. And our pattern is Jesus, the one that descended, and he says he descended into hell. That is, Sheol. That is, he gave, he led, went there after his death on the cross and vindicated the faith of the faithful. And the Old Testament, and we don't have time to get into it tonight, but the term that is used for the grave and Sheol are very much the same. And when a believer died, and an unbeliever died, the scripture says they were gathered to their fathers as if they all went to the same place. But as you read that scripture carefully, you'll recognize that the believers, those who died in faith, went to paradise. And those who died without faith went to the nether gloom, the awful abyss described as hell. And when Jesus came, after he had died on the cross, he descended according to the scripture, and he led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. He openly made a show of all of those who had, who had uh, been uh, skeptics and uh, persecuted the work of God. And he said to Abraham, your faith was right. He said to Isaac, your faith is right. He said to Elijah, your faith is right. He said to all of those who had gone before, your faith is right. And when he arose from the grave, the resurrection was so triumphant that some of the dead who were down there in paradise came up and walked around Jerusalem for a little while, and then they disappeared. They went on first fruits along with Christ when he went, to the, went back to the glory of the Father. Now he says, Jesus is our example. Walk according to the grace that God has given. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed through and to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men and cunning craftiness with which they lie and wait to deceive you. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things who is the head, even Christ. Now I want to tell you something. The preacher is under a terrible obligation to preach the word. To take the word of God and say, this is what God is saying. But not only this is what God said 2,000 years ago, but what God is saying today and how do we apply it to today's society. 
And sometimes that becomes unpopular. And people want to get rid of the preacher. Shame on the Christian movement tonight, but there's some pulpits in which a preacher would have a difficult time preaching the whole word. Congregation wouldn't let him. They wouldn't stand for it. They're the drinking congregation. They're the socializing congregation. They're the groups that don't care about spiritual living. And they say, let's get rid of the preacher. We don't want him to preach like that. So they get a preacher that won't preach like that. The Bible says that the work of the pastor teacher is to help God's people grow into maturity, spiritual maturity. Part of that spiritual maturity has to do with the way we dress. Has to do with the way we look. It has to do with what we, what we do with our, in our amusements. It has to do with growing up in Christ, being somebody that is different from the world. We live in a society that laughs at standards, scoffs at those things the Scripture holds sacred and dear. I don't know whether you're going to give me time tonight to preach. I've got three hours of preaching, but I can't talk that long tonight. But I want to tell you, We're in a mess today in our world. Terrible mess. Now, it's not so messy that God can't help it. God can do something. In the awful days of the 1740s, agnosticism was growing. Morals were low. Drunkenness was high. In the midst of all of it, God put it on a faithful, the heart of a faithful few to preach the unadulterated Word of God. And God began to move. And you have heard of the Great Awakening under the ministry of Jonathan Edwards. When he stood in the pulpit and read his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and women fainted and men screamed, and hundreds got saved. And the tide of spiritual life in America changed. And instead of dating our date of independence, July 4th, 1776. Well, to go back to the 1740s and say that's what made it possible for the Declaration of Independence in America. There came a spiritual awakening in the late 1800s. And then in the early 1900s, under the ministry of Billy Sunday. When Billy Sunday would go to campaign after campaign, he would preach the Word of God, taking strong stands against the social evils of his day and the social liquor crowd. And when he'd leave a town, the liquor joints would close because nobody wanted to go. The theaters would close because nobody wanted to go. They got saved. They got changed. Louis Lightfoot is a great pastor, teacher. I love him very much. He's pastor at the Bible Church in uh, Oakland, California. I was with him in a meeting. On Sunday morning, the place was packed. Came back on Sunday night and the place was packed. I said, Louis, how do you account for all these people being here tonight? He said, well, our people are saved. Let it sink in. He said, they love the Word of God. They want to come to church. I'm so tired of living in an age when we have to beg people to come to church. God's people. Plead with them. Please come. We'll give you a little glass. We'll give you a hamburger. We'll do something for you if you'll just come and be in God's church. I know we have to do stuff like that. And I have no objection to it, but it's a terrible blight on God's people today to think that we have to, have to 
get them into God's house, something like that. Just call them on the telephone. Will you please, please, please come? We're going to have a big day someday soon. We want you to, to do different from what you usually do. Try to come to church that day. These are Christians, God's people. And beloved, that's wrong. If the shoe fits, wear it. It is wrong for God's people to not care anymore about God's church than to say, I don't need to go. Something radically wrong. We live in an age when the Word of God is not thought of as highly as we ought to think of it. It's not preached without doctoring it up a little bit. Before you think your preacher's hopelessly old-fashioned, Please read carefully the scripture that says that the pastor teacher is responsible, responsible before God to try to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that henceforth would be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things who is the head, even Christ. Well, <clears throat> part of that responsibility, as painful as it seems, is to help the church understand that it's to grow. It's to be a beacon to the city of Bowling Green to reach out. Not only if we're located in Bowling Green, but a church is to be a beacon wherever it is. But in our church, we're to be a beacon to the city of Bowling Green. We could easily, 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 very easily decide, well, we've got things going good. We've got good singing, a good fellowship. We enjoy being with each other. We come, got plenty of room to sit down where we want to sit and just have a good time. It doesn't really make any difference. We, we announce that uh, we have a radio broadcast. Come to the church service if you can and so on. And sometimes on Thursday night we'll have 20 or 30 out visiting and that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Ought to be 200. Ought to be 200 of us. All of us. It's easy to say, well, we've just got it made. We're almost out of debt. Let's just settle down and just take it easy for a while. Forget that we're to be a beacon to the city. Beloved, every way that I know, our church committees have studied how to grow, how to reach the people. We've had three major studies. One of them by the Sunday School Board at Nashville. This was a number of years ago two of them by professional groups that study churches. This church has authorized those studies. You've heard the reports. Each of those, each of those committees, each of those groups reported back to us, and this was 10 years ago, you're doing more on this piece of property than you can possibly do. And we defied that for a while. Those specialists said, well, you can average uh, right then we were averaging six to seven hundred in Sunday school. And they said, you can average that for a while, but you can't keep it up. If you don't do something to expand, it's going to go down, 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 down. And we heard those reports. We heard them. 
What do we do about them? We went down, down, down. And again, we stand at a crossroads. It is easy to do nothing. It is painful to do something. Painful. It costs blood, sweat, and tears, and money, and faith. And it costs being in such close contact with God that you have to say, God, it seems like this isn't even feasible to try to do a thing like this. But if you want us to be a beacon to the city of Bowling Green, we must do it. We must do it. Do we want the path of pain or the path of ease? Humanly speaking, I would choose the path of ease. I'm just human. A lot simpler. But if we think of the church reaching out to the 21st century, in just a few years, I was asking somebody the other day, how old are you going to be in, in the year 2000? One of the teens that was up at Louisville at this contest, competition. Why well, said, I'll be 24. You imagine that? I'm going to be 70 in the year 2000. Do you think I'd ever get 70? I didn't. <laughs> Some of the others are going to be older than that. What are we going to do? How then should we live? What should we plan for? Should we say, well, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall, that's my theme song. I'm going to stick by the stuff, just stay here and not do anything. Or should we say, Lord, it's going to cost a lot. A lot of faith. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of work. But I want to build toward the future. And I want to turn over to the church that is coming. The church that is coming after us. I want to turn over to that church a plan whereby once again the church can be a beacon to the entire city. However is the best way for us to do that. We need to decide. No one can tell us except the Holy Spirit. There's no dictator, there's no tyrant, there's nobody going to say you've got to do it this way. In a Baptist church, we vote on things, and we do it the way the majority says to do it. And we don't get mad and get upset and say, well, I'm just going to take my marbles and go home. Kid won't play my way, I'm going to play somewhere else. God's people don't do that. But in the unity of faith, we come together and say, I'm going to go forward in Christ and do what he wants me to do. If we all say we don't want to buy any property, we don't think that's wise. We don't think it's wise to go in debt. How would we ever get it paid for? We don't think that's the best thing to do. If we all agree on that, then let's not do it. If we feel that God is leading the other way, then let's do it. Let's do what God says to do, what he tells our hearts. And in the among Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe the Holy Spirit can speak to every one of our hearts. And I believe he'll do it. He'll do it.
for Jesus' sake. Now, there's a third thing. Look in verses 17 to 29. Walk not as the Gentiles do. This I say, therefore, and testify of, in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mans, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to, walk, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former manner of life the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit, and so on. Look down in verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Verse 29, let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. In other words, he's saying that's the way the Gentiles live. Don't do that. Don't live like the Gentiles live. Now, I don't know how personally you want me to make this tonight. I know what God wants me to do, say, and I probably will say it. Some of you get offended at me. I believe God's girls ought to look like girls. Here I go again. You say, there you go. They used to say that all the time. There you go again. That's right. I love you anyway. But really... I think God's girls ought to look like girls, and parents, you ought to see that that happens. It's a shame when we give up to the world's standards and say, well, the world's all doing it. We'll just do what the world says, because that's what Hollywood says. That's what the television says. That's what all the girls at the schools are doing. So we'll just do it like that. Girls, you ought to look like girls. Guys, you ought to look like guys. Don't walk as the Gentiles. You know what the Gentiles are? They're the ethnos. They're the nations. They're the unbelievers. Who sets the standards for, listen, listen to me. You're saying, well, we're living in a different age. We surely are. And you know why we're living in a different age? Because the age we're living in today is a post-Christian age in America. This isn't a Christian nation any longer. Now, we can't escape the documents that founded the nation, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all these wonderful documents. They are in, they're filled with biblical truths. Our senior class each year goes to Washington, and you read on those monuments, the George, the George Washington Monument, and the Jefferson Davis Monument, and the Lincoln Memorial, and you read all those references to God. And the Supreme Court says, schools, you can't talk about God. How hypocritical. Right above where the Supreme Court justices sit, are, it's the Ten Commandments. And they say, take them down off the school walls. What an age we live in. We've done away with all that, and now we have in office a whole host of count cabinet people who say, we're going to give condoms out to all the high schools. It is beyond imagination to consider, even to consider, that teens would abstain from sex, so therefore we're going to give them condoms so they'll have safe sex. Now this scripture says, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like the world. You're not of the world. You're of heaven. 
Your citizenship is in heaven. Look like it, dress like it, act like it, smell like it, for Jesus' sake. You say, preacher, that's just your old fuddy-duddy idea. I guess that's right. But I'm going to declare what God's put on my heart to declare. And I love you anyhow. You may want me to go out a back door and not speak to me tonight. That's what God is telling me to say to you. I love you. What an age we're living in. I have a, I have a, a, a sheet of paper, some of you have seen it, that Brother Lonnie gave out to some the other night at that meeting we had. It has a listed what a committee of Planned Parenthood groups are recommending to the Texas Board of Education to put in their school system. I would not mind if the men of our church saw that. It's something so shameful I couldn't even read it publicly. That's the kind of world we live in. God says, don't live like the Gentiles. Don't do that. Live like God's people. Well, I must move on. Look in verses 30 to 32. How then should we live? Walk worthy of the vocation. Walk according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Walk not as the unbelievers or the Gentiles. Don't get your standards from the garbage cans and from Hollywood and from television, but get your standards from the book, God's book. And fourthly, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Beginning in verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now, who can grieve the Holy Spirit? Listen, if you're not saved tonight, you can't grieve Him. You can resist Him, but you can't grieve Him. The only people that can grieve the Holy Spirit are God's people. And so here He is saying, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. You're sealed. You're not going to be lost because of your sins. See, a Christian doesn't go to hell because he dances. I've heard people go out and say, well, you, this preacher over here preaches if you go to hell if you dance. That isn't true. You don't go to hell because you dance. You may look like you've been in hell. You don't go to hell because you smoke. You may smell like you've been in hell. You don't go to hell, girls, because you dress up like men. No, a thousand times no. The question is, do you grieve the Holy Spirit? There's the question. Men, do we grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions, by our words? I don't think there's, there are very many of us here tonight who have not grieved the Holy Spirit at some time. And if you're saved, you'll know it in your heart. You'll recognize it. And oh, it's terrible. It's terrible to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's an awful thing. It's an awesome thing. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You're not going to break that seal because you grieve the Holy Spirit. You're not going to go to hell because you grieve the Holy Spirit. But you're sure going to be alienated from that wonderful fellowship with the Spirit. And then he goes on to name some spiritual things. He says, uh, let all bitterness and wrath 
and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, I had sort of an argument with God tonight. I thought, well, now, Lord, I know there are a lot of people that like to get out early on Sunday night. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just preach 10 minutes. When that music's over, I'm going to get up there and preach 10 minutes. And I want to apologize both to you and God. God wouldn't let me do it. I know you've had to sit here and endure this a long time, but God wouldn't let me do that. There are words from God that we need to hear. Beloved, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. But let all these spiritual sins, bitterness, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Jesus was much harder on the spiritual sins than he was the physical sins. That woman taken in adultery, he said, where are your accusers? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He didn't stone her. He didn't try to embarrass her. He sent her back to a clean life, forgiven. What did he do to these scribes and Pharisees that were so haughty and high-minded? He said, you're of your father, the devil. Bitterness in the life of a believer grieves the Holy Spirit. Ill will, holding a grudge, those things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Unforgiveness in our hearts. I don't know of anybody that hasn't been hurt by somebody else. Let's just have a testimony meeting. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody else? Lift your hand. All right. How many of you have never been hurt by somebody else? Some of you didn't vote that time. How many of you have never been hurt by somebody else? I see one hand. I don't think she understood what I meant. Now, how many of you have hurt somebody else? You've hurt somebody else. What are you going to do about that? But I'm going to hold it in my heart. I'll say I forgive you, but I won't. I've got daggers in my heart. If I can, I'll bring you down to my level. God says that grieves the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, forgiving one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's what God says. How are we to walk? As Francis Schaeffer put it, how then shall we live? Number one, walk worthy of the vocation. Number two, walk according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Number three, walk not as the unbelievers. And fourthly, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Now, beloved, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you can't do any of these things because you walk as a natural man. You may borrow some of the standards and you you may sing and You may go to church, but if Jesus isn't there reigning and ruling in your heart, then you're not walking with him. You're copying other people. A lot of people have the idea that to become a Christian means that here's Jesus out here and here's some things he teaches and I think I'll try to follow those things. And you try until you stumble and you give up and say, well, it's no use. I can't. I tried the Christian life and it didn't work for me. (laughs) They don't mean they tried Jesus. 
They tried some form of religion. When you try Jesus, he comes in and satisfies. He's all that he said he would be. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can, you can grieve his spirit, but he'll bother you until you come back. If you're not saved tonight, come to Jesus. If you are saved, come out and walk with him. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for the goodness of God. That goodness of God leads us to repentance. We pray that every believer in this room tonight would say, Lord, I want to walk close to You. I want to walk worthy of the vocation to which I've been called. And I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit any longer. Just for a moment, where you are, would you confess to God anything in your life that is out of His will, whether it's bitterness or wrath or clamor or evil speaking or unforgiveness or some thing you've held in your heart or some physical sin? I ask God to cleanse you and forgive you. And beloved, if you've never been saved, would you tonight just reach out and say, Jesus, I want to trust you as my Savior. Thank you, Lord for what you're doing in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.